Want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Imagine a farmer planting seeds, and along the way, these seeds fell to four different places. The first seed was cast by the skillful hand of the farmer, yet it fell on the hard path. Quickly this drew the attention of birds nearby, and one by one, all of that seed was eaten away. The second place the seed landed was on shallow ground. Here the seed quickly sprouted into plants, which was exciting at first. Yet these sprouts faded as quickly as they began. There was no room for their roots to grow, and soon they were withering away in the noonday sun. The third place where the seed landed had way more potential than the other two. Here the ground was deep and rich, ready to accommodate anything, but there was a problem. Weeds, weeds of all kinds took up space there and competed with the good seed, choking and crowding them out. The competition between good and bad complicated things a bit too much, rendering this section unfruitful. But finally, as the farmer kept on casting seed, he hit the good stuff. He hit the best stuff. Seed fell on deep and fertile soil without competition. Soon the results were fully visible. Good soil, good depth, and the freedom to grow eventually turned the farmer's seeds into the most abundant crop anyone could possibly imagine. This is what the kingdom of God is like. You may not have ever really given this a lot of thought, but you know, stuff doesn't grow great in Vegas. Have you noticed, like, we don't have, like, the best soil, and I'd never really thought about that before until, you know, I'd grown up in Vegas, so this is kind of all I was ever used to, but a few years back, my nephew came to live with us, and he, he came from Virginia, which apparently they grow stuff there, and so he came to, to live with us because he was starting a job as a surveyor here in Vegas, and, and so he, he was with us, and after a while, I think he may have gotten a little bit homesick or something, and so he said, hey, would it be okay if I planted, like, a little garden in your backyard? just something to remind me of home. And I'm like, sure, go ahead. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. He's like, great. Well, what grows well here? Cactus, tumbleweeds, I don't know, you know? And so he's like, that's okay. You know, I've got, you know, as a surveyor, he had access to kind of like do soil samples. And so he was going to, so he just decided to do a sample of our soil. So he went in the backyard and got a scoop and, and, and went and had it analyzed only to come back to tell me that basically our soil had literally nothing of value in it. That basically, he said, you, you've got crushed rock as soil. Nothing's ever going to grow here. I'm like, welcome to Vegas. <laughs> and some of you may have experienced that. Maybe you've come from places where stuff grows. And now you are here in Vegas. And you understand that soil matters. If you want something to grow, obviously the soil is important. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about today as we look at what he calls the parable of the sower um, but really what you're going to see is most of his attention is on these different types of soil. Now, if you've been following us in this parable series, you know now that really a parable is an earthly story illustrating a spiritual reality. And so what we're going to discover is that at the end of the day, we're really not talking about soil at all. We're talking about something else. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Matthew 13 as we go through this. Now, Matthew 13 opens with Jesus right off the shore in a boat. 
Now, he would do this from time to time because the water would carry the sound of his teaching, and he was, it'd be kind of like an amphitheater like this. And so he was off the, off the coast a little bit, a couple of yards, in a boat with his disciples, teaching to this crowd of people. And because Jesus loved to use illustrations of things that people were familiar with, he tells a story about a farmer, about a sower, basically the story that you saw illustrated on the screens behind me. And he tells a story about these different soils and, and the seed that fell on it and what happened to each seed. And he concludes by saying, he who has ears, let him hear, and drops the mic. Followed by, near as I can tell, the sound of crickets and a wall of blank stares because they had no clue what he was saying. And near as I can tell, it got a little awkward at one point because the Bible says the disciples started to kind of lean over to him and go, okay, Jesus, you know they have no clue what you just said, right? Right? And, and just maybe a teaching note for next time. How about you just tell them what you're trying to say and not do this clever, creative, hide-it-in-a-story thing? And it's interesting how Jesus responds. If I could paraphrase the next couple of verses, basically Jesus says, but I don't want to make it that easy. Jesus says, I, I guess what I want is I, I want them to want this. Because Jesus understands that what he's offering, when he talks about the kingdom and when he's talking about the seed, what he's offering is himself. He's talking about the life that he is going to lay down, that we may pick it up, that he may live in us in a way that transforms everything, in a way that we are able to bring hope and healing across the planet. That's what he's offering. He's saying, but I, I want them to want this. I want them, I want them to lean in, to listen to let the spiritual reality of what I'm offering, to, to, to let it soak in and take root and to flourish. He says, in fact, that's exactly what the parable that I just told was all about. He says, let me, let me explain. Let me unpack this for you. He says, so, you know, that, that first soil I talked about, he said, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. Jesus is saying that in the same way that that seed was cast on ground that was so hard it couldn't soak in, what he's saying is that some people in the audience that day had hard hearts. That, that in the same way that, that after a period of time that, that, that pliable soil began to be hardened by the constant pressure that some of us have allowed the world, circumstances, hurts to harden our hearts. So hard, in fact, that even the life of Jesus can't penetrate that. And so the first thing Jesus is saying is that the Jesus life can't take root in a hard heart. And then there's a second type of soil he talks about. He says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. He's saying that a plant that can't grow deep roots is going to fall, is going to wither when the elements, the sun and the wind come against it. He says that in the same way, people with a shallow heart, 
are going to wither you know, if they don't go deep. That the plant can't go deep because it runs into this rocky surface, this rocky soil underneath. Now, here in Vegas, we, we know a little bit about that, right? We got this thing called caliche. Yeah, it's like this, this impenetrable force right below the, the, the ground that, that you know, every time you've tried to dig a hole to lay sprinklers or anything, you need like heavy equipment or it's going to cost you an extra six or eight grand if you want to dig a pool just in case they run into caliche, right? This stuff is so hard, near as I can tell, it falls on the hardness scale somewhere between like um, titanium and whatever Captain America's shield is made out of. I mean, this stuff is intense, right? Nothing's going to break through. And he says... People are like that too. So there's some people that have these shallow hearts that, that they hear the message, that they hear about the Jesus life, maybe get baptized and, and fired up and start to take some, some steps, but, but they don't really let the roots go deep. And so when persecution comes, he says, because of the word, they fall away. See, persecution for us looks different than it does some places across the planet. For us, persecution is really more than more pressure. More, uh, for example, for, for some of you, persecution might look like um, your, your family and your friends just don't get this Jesus life that you're trying to live, and they're starting to push back on you. See, I, I, I committed to Jesus when I was about 30 years old. And you know who it was the hardest on? My mother. See, because we were raised um, to be kind of Catholic, like that's what we were if you asked us, but we didn't really do Catholic stuff. You know, we were, uh, you know, we went to church a couple of times a year. We were CEOs, Christmas and Easter only, right? That was us, right? And so when she heard that, that I was going to church like multiple times during the week, she didn't know what to do with that. You know, what do you mean? Because we were going on Sunday and we had a midweek service and small group and serving. And, and then when she heard I was tithing, right? Because we were raised to be tippers. So when the, when, the, when the play came, you threw a couple of bucks in. Thanks, God. Appreciate it, right? And she's like, what do you mean you're giving your church 10% of your income? She asked, are you in a cult, right? <laughs> because she didn't get it. And, and honestly, it created a lot of tension between us. There was that pressure that I was feeling. For some of you, that pressure may be that, that, that you've begun to take these initial steps in your Jesus life, and you're finding that it's harder than you thought it was going to be. That, that you don't understand your Bible, man. You try to read it and understand it, but it's hard. And I don't get it, and it doesn't make sense to me. Or, or you're trying to make these changes in your life, and you're like, man, this, these changes are hard. And because you don't have deep roots, you fall away. The Jesus life won't go deep in a shallow heart. Then there's a third type of soil. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This describes people who have taken the steps of faith, even, maybe even begun to get a little bit of momentum towards it. But all the other distractions of life, the other demands and pressures of life, have begun to choke the spiritual life out. I refer to this as the distracted heart. That you start to take all these steps in your Jesus life, doing the right stuff, but at the same time, man, you turn on the news and, and life is horrible and everything is tragic and it's you know, fear and anxiety everywhere. And you're trying to, to, to raise your family and, and have a good job and going through all these things and it's making you crazy. See, the distracted heart leads to a hurried soul. 
a hurried soul. And here's what Dallas Willard says. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And you want to know if you suffer from, from chronic hurry? There's a couple of things here that, he, that uh, John Ortberg mentions maybe for you to rate yourself on. Let me ask you this. The first is this, that the people who suffer from chronic hurried suffer from ingratitude. And I don't mean that, that you, you don't have time to say, oh, thanks, or I appreciate that, or that's nice, or think about things that you're grateful for. But I mean, when was the last time you sat and let gratefulness warm your soul? When was the last time you just sat and really reflected on the things that are, that are right and noble and good and positive in your life in such a way that you felt the warmth of that? See, hurried people don't have time for that. The second thing is irritability, Right? It's like we are spinning so many different plates at the same time and doing all that. So if someone bumps one of our plates, we want to rip their head off. Seriously, it's like we overreact because it's a sense of, man, I'm trying to do everything I can, but why are you working against me? Why is everyone working against me? Sign of chronic hurry. Third, number three, a loss of compassion. Again, that doesn't mean you don't have time to feel sorry for someone or to say, oh, bless your heart or I'll pray for you. I mean, when was the last time you sat with someone in their suffering and their struggle and just allowed it to become part of you, to really uh, held this burden with another person? When was the last time that you sat with the injustice and suffering of the world in such a way that it began to motivate you to action? Because that's what compassion is. Hurried people don't have time for that. Or the last one, I'm going to warn you right now, it's going to get every single one of us, so just plan on it. The fourth one is a chronic sense that there's never enough time. See, the problem is that the Jesus life will be choked out by a distracted heart. Now, at this point, everyone in the crowd is probably weeping and gnashing of teeth because things are looking desperate. So Jesus turns a corner. He says, but, however, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus says there is such thing as a person with the, with the good heart and the good soil, and they receive my life in them, and that life gets, goes deep, and, and, and it breaks the surface, and it, and it bears fruit. In fact, it bears abundant fruit. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life, that you may have it abundant. And the abundant life that he talks about is this life where his life is so lived in you and bears such fruit in you that it gets on other people, that other people are affected by it, that they see it that they are changed by it, that they see the Jesus life in you because of your, your courage and your, your discernment, your wisdom, your compassion, your passion, your kindness. They see it and they are changed by it. That is the abundant life that Jesus says can bear fruit in good soil. The problem is that hard hearts and shallow hearts and distracted hearts cannot bear abundant fruit. So what are we to do? When my nephew got word that our soil was horrible and completely pointless, he went to Star Nursery and got like some potting soil or manure or fertilizer, whatever it is that you get. And he, and he came back and went in the backyard and had like tools and, and just began to break through that hard, crusty surface and just dug in deeper and start breaking through the rock and pulling the boulders out. And then he took this soil that he bought and he mixed it in there, put it in there and got down on there and just churned it and churned it and churned it. And he treated our soil and then he planted tomato plants. 
And I don't know where you stand on tomatoes. I'm a fan. But I got to tell you, there is no comparison between a store-bought tomato and one that you pluck off your vine in your backyard. Take a big old bite of, right? That's good. We got tomato fans here. That's awesome. <laughs> Gardeners unite. It's just a whole different animal, man. See, and that's the thing. Is he was able to treat this soil where it could bear this abundant fruit. And I believe that Jesus invites us to do the same thing with the soil of our heart, that we can treat it so that it bears abundant fruit. Maybe, maybe you've identified yourself as one of those people with a hard heart. You've got that hard soil. And I, I can empathize, man. I spent, I spent a lot of years there. That I, I grew up in such a way that I learned that the world is out to, get, get, out to get you. Everyone is against you. The world is unfair. If you want to keep from being hurt, you build walls, you harden your heart, you protect yourself. And I, and I, I, I got a very hard heart. The problem is that that really affected my relationships. It made it very hard for me to connect. And to make matters worse, I began to read the Bible, and I saw the life of Jesus in here. And what I saw was not only did Jesus love people, but Jesus loved people that weren't even his people, right? It's one thing to love your family or your friends or your coworkers or people you know, but Jesus loved his enemies and people who were persecuting him and strangers. And I looked at that, and I knew, I knew that was the life he wanted to live in me. And so I tried to love people who weren't my people, and I was not very good at it. I couldn't make myself do that. Quite frankly, I was having a hard enough time with the people who were my people, right? And so finally, I just got frustrated and I gave up. I'm like, Jesus, if you want this to happen, I can't soften my own heart. If you want this to happen, you need to do it. And then what I noticed after I did that was I began to spot these little opportunities that he gave me to step outside of my comfort zone a little bit, to risk a little vulnerability to risk a little bit of trust, to reach out and maybe try to help somebody. And sometimes it backfired. Sometimes I got hurt. But what I discovered, though, was that it, it didn't destroy me, that Jesus was sufficient even when it didn't work out. And what I discovered after a period of time was I, I actually started to have these warm feelings towards people who weren't my people. I actually began to have this compassion and, and this connectedness with people that it could benefit me in no way, shape, or form, just people, simply because of who they were. And what I realized years later, as I got more into my Bible, was that in fact, Jesus had done what God had promised to do to his people generations earlier. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. He began to soften my heart. And that's what he's been doing. And, and I've obviously not mastered that yet. I'm not great at it. I'm not as good as Jesus yet. But I'm not where I was. See, the point is this. And if you want to treat a hard heart, start by asking God to give you a heart of flesh. Understand that you can't do it yourself. Ask God for it. But, but listen, secondly, realist, uh, risk believing that he will do it. Take that chance and risk believing that he will do it in your life. And then third, respond to the opportunities he gives you to practice. As he gives you those little opportunities to step outside your comfort zone, you do it. Because here's the thing. 
You know, God is willing to do this in our lives. He's willing to treat the soil, but he wants us to get our hands in there too. He wants us to be part of it. So it's not a matter of just asking and waiting. God expects us to participate. And that's the secret for those with a shallow heart as well. You want to know how you treat shallow soil? Hard work. I, I wish there was a different answer, but there's not. But then again, what of value in this world does not require hard work? You want to be a, a, a good spouse and have a good marriage? You work hard. You want to be a good parent, have a good family? You work hard. You want to be successful in your career? You want to master a piece of music? You work hard. Why would it be any different in a relationship with God? It requires hard work. What we've got to do is we've got to begin to do the work of jackhammering that caliche below the surface and breaking that stuff up so we can go deep. See, but here's the thing. If you're wondering what the spiritual equivalent of a jackhammer is, it's obedience. Not a sexy word, but it's true. It's obedience. It's the sense of doing the next right thing according to God's will for your life. It's, 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 the, it's the sense of just saying yes when God tells you to do stuff. That's how we jackhammer through the caliche that... For some of you, God is telling you or will put on your heart, you need to start forgiving this person. And before you start making excuses, go, well, no, I can't. You don't know what they did. Man, they didn't even ask for it or, or all that. No, you, you say yes, you do it. You begin the hard work of forgiving that person. You jackhammer that caliche below the surface. When God is telling you, I want you to reach out and be more generous to these people or to reach out and, and offer to help or, or give a hand to, to this person, don't make excuses. We don't say, well, but I don't have that many resources or but, but they're going to think I'm crazy or I'm overstepping or whatever. No, you just do do it. You be obedient. You jackhammer that caliche so you can go deeper. For some of you, God is going to press on you that there's stuff in your life that you need to remove. There are things in your life that are stopping you. There are things in your life that are not his best for you. Don't justify it. Don't make excuses for it. Be obedient. Say yes and do it and caliche through and break through that caliche. You jackhammer those bad boys. See, but here's the tricky part, is you cannot be obedient to God without knowing his word. You just can't. Otherwise, you're just being obedient to your concept or your idea of what God should be. We have to know his word in order to actually be obedient to him. And we know his word here and here. But they work together. If you want to be able to hear the still, small voice of God and recognize his voice, you've got to do the hard work of studying your Bible and knowing it. It's that simple. There's no other answer for it. And I know it's hard work, but I said at the beginning it was going to be. But we try to make it easier. We try to help here at the crossing. You know, if, if you're brand new to the faith, or quite frankly, if you're still just trying to figure out where you are with this whole Jesus thing, we've got this course called Alpha starting up in a, in a couple of months. That's designed for you. It's designed to help you begin to understand what this Jesus life is all about. If you're a little further along, here in a few weeks, we're going to start a brand new series called Transformed, where we're going to be challenging all of us to grow together in this Jesus life. 
And I would say this, if you are serious about doing the hard work, don't wait for there to be groups that are open and go join one. Next week, we're actually going to have kits, leader kits, out in the lobby. Grab one and go grab a couple of people and ask them to join you, a couple of friends and go, hey, let's do this together. Because if you're going to do the hard work of breaking through that caliche and digging deeper, it is so much more fun and better to do with people that you care about that are doing the same thing with you. See, here's the deal. If you want to treat the soil of a shallow heart, you need to work hard to know and obey God's word. And then finally, for those of you with a distracted heart, again, we look at Dallas Willard. He tells us the way we treat a distracted heart is that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, even as I say that, you need to understand that there is a difference between being busy and being hurried. Because when I say you must ruthlessly eliminate hurried from your life, right away I see a bunch of you rolling your eyes, right? Because you're going, yes, well, tell my, tell my family, tell my government, tell my school, tell my boss, tell you know, my kids. Because they're pulling me in all these different directions. See, but here's the thing. Busy is an outward state. It's an exercise. It's, it's the activity of our body. Hurried is a condition of our soul where we are so preoccupied with our anxieties and fears and demands and tasks that we are never fully present to God and to people. See, that's, that's what hurried is. See, we see in Jesus' life, he was often busy. He was healing people here and teaching here and, 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 and preaching here, doing all these things. But every time he was with somebody, you get the impression he was actually with somebody, right? Compare that to us. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, but tell me if you've not found yourself in this situation. You're maybe at a restaurant or some, something with, with one other person, a friend, a spouse, whatever, right? You got the person here. You're scrolling your cell phone, trying to listen to the conversation happening over here, right? That's the world we live in, that we are almost never where we're at, you know, even right now, you know, some of you in this room aren't even here. You're thinking about the conversation you had on the drive-in, thinking about, man, he's going to be done here soon. It's really hot in here. I can't wait to go to lunch. You know, thinking about all these, you know, all the pressure, what's going on at home? I hope everything this, or, or maybe even bigger things, life things, a phone call from a doctor. We're thinking about all these things. We are not where we're at. But here's the thing. What you feed will grow. What you feed will grow. So think about what gets the most feeding in your spiritual soil or in your emotional soil. What consumes your mind the most? Is it God and is it people or is it fear, anxiety, tasks, responsibilities, the future, the past, regrets? See, whatever we feed, that is what is going to shape us and transform us. And if it's fear and anxiety, then those are the kind of people we are going to become. Our spiritual life will be choked out. But if it's God and his people, that's what we were created for. Jesus said the most important commandments, love God, love people. But you can only do that if you are fully present to them. Both. We see this in the life of Jesus. Everything he did, he had his father in mind. And for that reason, when he was with people, he was with people. And the way that you know you are with people is you see past the distractions. 
You see past the, the way they dress or the way they act or the things that they say. And what you see is the humanity behind their eyes. You, see the, you don't see a two-dimensional character. You see a fully realized human being struggling and trying to get through the same life you are. And your heart is connected when you are fully present with someone. Treating the soil of a distracted heart means practicing being fully present to God and to one another, to others. Whether you are struggling with a hard heart, a a shallow heart, or a distracted heart, Jesus wants to grow his life in you. And again, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. But he wants you to want it too. He wants you and I to lean in to do the work of listening and allowing the life he has for us, his life, to break the surface, to, to, to soak in, to seep in, to grow deep, and to grow and to bear abundant fruit.